You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Hey folks, another week of news to make sense of. A military judge finally set a date in early 2021 for the start of the long-stalled trial of five men, including notorious al-Qaeda leader and architect of 9-11, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. The Justice Department is reportedly conducting an antitrust investigation into four car makers who voluntarily entered into a deal with California to set emission standards that are more stringent than what the Trump administration proposes. And this week, we're also providing a primer on OLC opinions and answering your questions about the seemingly mysterious power of these Justice Department memos. I talk about all of this and more with Ann Milgram on the Cafe Insider podcast. Each week, we break down the news and take stock of what's happening. Today, we are declassifying a clip from the most recent episode available in the Stay Tuned feed. To listen to our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, become a member at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. You and I thought maybe it's worth describing a little bit what's taken so long. So KSM Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who's he? KSM Khalid Sheikh Mohammed is the mastermind, considered to be the mastermind of the 9-11 attacks, in which there are 19 militants who are associated with al-Qaeda, who, as we all know, hijacked four planes, um, flew two of them into the Twin Towers at the time, um, one into the Pentagon and one crashed um, in Pennsylvania. And so this has obviously been a huge point of focus for the American government and the American people since 9-11. It was almost 3,000 people were killed. Uh, it's the largest terrorist attack on U.S. soil. And Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, and I don't I don't recall whether he was arrested and captured in 2002 or 2003, but he was taken in custody for some time. He was held at one of the CIA black sites for a number of years and then was transferred to Guantanamo Bay, where he and four other individuals have been charged under a military commission with, I think, thousands of counts um, related to conspiracy to murder, aiding terrorist organizations, funding terrorism, and so on. When was that case going to come to the Southern? Can you maybe explain some of the... Yeah. So over time, there have been a slew of legal issues associated with military commissions. Going back to 2006, there was a Supreme Court ruling called Hamdan, which basically held that the, the structure and process by which a military commission trial might happen with respect to the defendant in that case, Hamdan, uh, violated the Constitution. Uh, with respect to Hamdan, violated basic standards of fairness. And so they had to go back to the drawing board. And then Congress passed 
a version of a Military Commissions Act, uh, and then people thought they would proceed along those lines. That too was found problematic in a 2009 Supreme Court decision that said you couldn't take away the right to the writ of habeas corpus on the part of defendants being tried in a military commission. So, And of course, that right is the right when you're detained to challenge your detention. Right. And so you know, there's been sort of legal setback after legal setback in the military commission, in part because the, the, the development of the law is not as clear, not as robust as it has been over multiple centuries in the civilian courts, the federal courts where you and I practiced. So maybe even just going back a step further, which is to right after 9-11 in November of 2001, when President Bush issued an executive order that provided for these trials by military commission, and it was essentially for any non-citizen for whom there was, quote, reason to believe that the person was a member of al-Qaeda or had engaged or participated in terrorist activities aimed at or harmful to the United States. And then the Secretary of Defense was tasked with implementing a plan and creating a panel of judges, essentially creating an entirely new court system. And you know, I think your reaction on Twitter to basically say, if we'd done this in a civil court, it would be done. My reaction, and I, I think we should talk about this specific point of whether this is the right way to handle these cases. My reaction, and it's easy now maybe for you and I to sit here with hindsight, but, you know, the idea of the United States government creating a whole new judicial system and doing it in a way that is compliant with U.S. and international laws and doing it in a way that brings uh, swift and fair justice. You're now, we're talking about it's 18 years. The trial has not happened. It won't happen until it's 20 years since 9-11 occurred. There are huge legal issues. They're on their third judge now. And one thing that surprised me, and we can talk about this in a minute, is that the judges are essentially, they keep revisiting the same questions of law and fact. Um, and so over it's like and over, over and over again. And so there's certain things that happen in civil courts and, and criminal courts in the United States, because again, with Article Three courts, that's how the Constitution sets it up. There are parameters, you know how many bites of the apple you get, and it's a it's a sort of well-worn process. And, you know, my sort of bumper sticker would be, we, we made a choice not to follow that here. And it, there are obvious things connected to the practice that the United States was engaged in at the time related to torture, waterboarding, um, and such that maybe was the reason why they wanted an additional opportunity. I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I think the question for you is like, why did they choose commissions in the first place? Right. And then why did they almost change to give it to you and to Neil McBride? Well, so one of the thorniest issues uh, that continues to be litigated is what kind of evidence can be used in the military commission. And as we've alluded to here and before, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was waterboarded a lot of times and some confessions were extracted from him. And then for the purpose of being able to use statements he made in court, military commission or otherwise, there was a period of like sort of intermission between the time that he was tortured and the time that what they call a clean team of FBI agents would go in and then interview. Uh, and there's some law to support the propriety of that, that you can get a voluntary uh, admission statement confession uh, that is not the, the that is not at the hands of torture and that might be admissible, but there are a lot of interesting both legal and factual issues with that, among other things. I don't know if these are true. Um, the defense for the for the five defendants are arguing uh, that the FBI actually was involved in some of the questions being asked by the CIA folks uh, when there was waterboarding going on. Which would mean that they weren't really a clean team. Yeah, I mean, the, the idea of the clean team, so to speak, 
is that it's completely independent. It's completely divorced from the, you know, the quote unquote bad stuff that happened before. You have the no tainted knowledge stuff. of you have what no happened. Knowledge. Exactly. There are yeah. also allegations and suggestions that there is still some involvement on the part of uh, CIA interrogators in connection with the later clean team FBI interrogation. So that's thorny, difficult stuff that has to be resolved before you can decide what's admissible or not admissible. The question is, why did some people prefer a military commission? So I think there's some people who in good faith uh, think that a military commission is better for a variety of reasons. And some people, I think it's a, it's a political issue for them and it's popular depending on who their constituencies are. Why is it better? People think, well, uh, as Lindsey Graham often says, these are not just crimes, they're acts of war that 9-11 was an act of war. And so, as is the tradition, if you have committed an act of war on the United States of America, you shouldn't get all the panoply of protections that the Constitution affords defendants like you and I have tried and prosecuted in federal civilian courts or state civilian courts in the United States. You get a military tribunal. You get a military tribunal. And so the benefit of that to the prosecution is that it's a little bit easier. And there are different rules of evidence. So the rules of evidence are relaxed. There are certain kinds of hearsay that can come in in a military commission that can't come in in a court like in the SDNY. You don't need a lawful search warrant in some countries. And you don't need There's a There's all sorts of evidence yes. that can come in so long as you can show that it's probative. Um, certain kinds of admissions are more easily able to be admitted. Um, and you, by the way, you also don't need a unanimous jury. And the nature of your jury is what? It's, it's military, other military yes. officials. Who are selected based on, it wasn't clear to me exactly how they're selected, but they're selected based on their education, their training, their experience, their... Um, but it's a very, it's very different than we think about a jury of your peers. Look, and I think military commissions have been used before and they'll be used again, and they can be fair and just in certain contexts. But just to be honest about it, imagine if you had trials in the United States where the entire jury was made up of cops or detectives or FBI agents. Sure, I think a lot of them would be able to be fair, but it, it's a certain kind of system that is stacked a particular kind of way for people who have committed acts of war. And so it's it's not crazy. And so even President Obama, when he set up this process in 2009 to re-examine where these people should be tried, did not say that there was something necessarily untoward about military commissions. The question was, should these particular folks be tried in a military commission or in a civilian court? And Eric Holder, after a lot of back and forth between the AG's office, my office, the Eastern District of Virginia, and the military commission folks made the determination that it should happen in the Southern District of New York. Did not say, by the way, that military commissions were bad or awful uh, or improper, just that for a variety of circumstances, including uh, including closure for the victims, and you know, one might think some symbolic value of having the trial happen in the place where the most harm and the most murders took place. You know, there's some some value there in the democratic process. Yes, and there's a there's a valid, and I think. We've seen this in things like the Oklahoma City bombing. There's a valid public interest in having the trial be something that's televised, public, open to view. And it's it's clear with the military tribunals for, for reasons that would also be true if it was an Article Three court, if it was a regular federal court that the trial took place. There's a fair amount of classified evidence here that would not be brought out. But there is still it, – it does sort of flip the presumption in terms of what's public and what's not right. in, a, in a way. Two, two sort of additional points I would make. So – one of the most jarring things to me is to see that it doesn't have to be unanimous. Um, so, so that means there's no hung juries, right, in in a military commission, right? Which is which is very different than the American system, um, the Article Three system. What is also true, though, is that in a death penalty case like um, the Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and the others who are now pending for trial in 2021, it, because it is death penalty, 
there will be 12 jurors and it does have to be unanimous. And so I think it, there are there it's important just to note that although there are exceptions and there can be six jurors and it cannot be unanimous, this is an example where it has to be 12 and unanimous. But the one thing that's really interesting, and you mentioned the Hamden case, where the court basically took real issue with the military commissions and basically said, you can't do this. And Hamden came through under uh, habeas corpus, which again is the right, you know, bring forth the body. You basically say, I need to come to court because I'm being detained and I want to challenge whether or not I'm being fairly detained. And the court was really strong in basically saying, you can't do it like this. And so, as you note, the Military Commission Acts, there was one in 2006, one in 2009. They started with the executive order from Bush in a very different place than they've ultimately moved. And they've moved because the courts have said, no, this isn't okay. And so now today, there's an appellate level after a military commission. If you're convicted, there's an appellate review within the military. Then the case goes to the D.C. Circuit. It used to be initially that you didn't get a full review. You only got a legal review. Now you, the court can review the facts, the law, the sufficiency of the evidence. And there's the same right to get to the Supreme Court, which isn't, a, of course, a right, but the ability to file a petition for certiorari. For, for cert, sorry, I can never say that. <laughs> certiorari. Certiorari. I can't say water or certiorari. Um, Look, to, to, to file immigrant a, to the rescue. <laughs> <laughs> so the ability to file a petition for cert um, or to ask the Supreme Court to take up the, the legal question. So it's funny because it started as a really different version. And I was sort of looking at the end result. And yeah, it's still different, but it's not nearly as different as... 18 years ago, or, you know, yeah, basically almost 18 years ago when it was created, that the goals, you know, it's almost morphed into something a lot more similar than I think if if we'd had this conversation up front, do you want the current system or do you want the system of the military commission as it stands today? It's a very different conversation than the military commission that was created by President Bush. But going back to the issue of, of why people favored a military commission over Article 3, one was... And again, I, I think it was taken in good faith, but I think ultimately it was a failing argument that you give these people who cause so much death and destruction in the United States of America, you, you give them the protections of an Article Three court, they could use that as a platform. Right. Um, there could be outbursts in court and they could get their message of hate out and this might actually help to recruit more people for Al-Qaeda abroad and maybe even um, domestically. And why give them that platform? In some ways, you know, keep them sort of separate down in Guantanamo Bay where they don't have a lot of access, um, where, it's, where it's difficult for them to get uh, a lot of attention, and and why would we give them a soapbox on which to preach their hatred towards the United States and and, and try to get more recruits to jihad? I get that. Yeah, I think there's point. there's there's a countervailing, uh, a number of countervailing considerations, including timeliness, um, finality, and also... There's there's something glorious about being able to show that even someone like this can be tried fairly and openly and can get convicted. And and one of the points we made, we were making the argument in favor of Article Three courts over a military commission was one that was a hypothetical argument, but is now borne out and, and is true, is we can do it much more quickly and efficiently in Article Three in SDNY than it would otherwise take. And I, and I don't remember what predictions of time we made with respect to the military commission. I think we said it would be much delayed. Yeah. I don't think we thought it was going to take another. I don't. I don't think we thought that it was going to be well into the twenty twenties. It'd be fascinating to see what those numbers were that you used. So, 
the Department of Justice, Obama orders this review of the process to determine where the case should be held. Eric Holder does that review. He comes back and says, you in the Southern District, um, then U.S. Attorney Neil McBride in the Eastern District, would try the cases. Jointly. Um, jointly. jointly. Yeah. Where would the trials have been held? Uh, in the courthouse. In New York. Uh, right next to our office. Um, and and Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and others would be housed at the MCC of Jeffrey Epstein fame. I think I've mentioned before that you know, at one point we were sort of surveying the security needs of the case. And the Attorney General, Eric Holder, came and we went with the warden at the time and, and saw the cell uh, that had essentially... KSM's name on it, and lots of uh, provisions were being made and plans were being set, and that ultimately didn't come to pass. Because one of the reasons at the end of the day uh, was a consideration for not doing the trial there was a security concern, which I also think was overblown. I have great respect for the police commissioner at the time, Ray Kelly, but yeah, of course, it's a security stress, um, and we're talking about downtown Manhattan, but we have dealt with things like that before. Was that the main reason why... it was then decided not to do the well, Article so, 3. So that all happened above my pay grade. I think there was a lot of uh, good faith concern, but I think also a lot of politics. And, you know, initially, the local politicians, including the mayor, including the police commissioner, and I think the senators were all in favor of having the case tried in SDNY. And look, my theory is, and other people may disagree with me, and I'll hear from my former colleagues about this. What I think uh, affected the decision-making a lot was a change of heart on, on the part of some folks when, uh, you know, November, the middle of November was when the decision was made by Eric Holder to, to have the cases come to SDNY. And then a mere six or seven weeks later on Christmas Day of 2009, we had the underwear bomber, Abdul right. Matalab, right. trying to fly into Detroit. And something about that and the fact that he was Mirandized which people thought was a mistake and people suggested he didn't give up as much intelligence and information as he might have. Why are we pampering people who are operational terrorists in the United States of America? And there was a little bit of a backlash um, pursuing, I think, a civilian. I think that was part of it. Yeah. And then there were local concerns about cost and about security. Which would be extraordinarily high. And and let's be clear, the costs in the, the case will be tried in Cuba. The case it, the cost will be extraordinarily high. The judge has literally said, figure out how to get food and water right. and provisions for people for nine months. Right. But to that's be not here. seen. Right. Look, the, the other concern. Right, that's fair. That, to, that... to be really frank about it, and, you know, it's an interesting question. <laughs> you know, nobody wanted that case to be lost. Right. Like, you can't lose right. a yes. case like that, it was said. And so I think, you know, some people, when you look at it and you have the Article 3 system, with, you know, whatever percentage likelihood that you would prevail. And I thought the percentage likelihood was very, 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 very high. Very high. Yes. Um, but nothing's 100%. Of course. Because then it's, then it's fixed. With any and then jury. then it's rigged. Even a military, it doesn't matter. So whatever yes. the percentage is, if there's a higher percentage in some other place, like Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, in the military commission, there's some people who say, well, why, why not pick the option that is more likely to get the outcome that you want? You know, it's an interesting question. Um, Again, I still think all things considered, particularly um, with the benefit of hindsight, because there's been no closure of the case, um, that we could have gotten it done. And the other thing that we showed, I mean, we didn't have cases as prominent as KSM, but we tried a number of other cases post-2009 that went, you know, the way you expected them to go. And 
there was no sort of, I think, abuse of of the courtroom in a way that caused some of these terrorists who were charged and convicted to be able to spread, you know, their gospel of jihad around the world and to gain recruits. It, to the contrary, I think it showed that you can have a good, fair, open system and we're, we're strong enough and our criminal justice system is strong enough to take even these, you know, uh, terrible, awful, evil people and serve them justice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the the thing that I keep thinking about as we approach the date of 9-11 is that truly for the families and the people who are impacted and, and you know, it's thousands of people, there really has not been closure and the inability to sort of get this done as a government to, to bring people, to hold people accountable and bring them to justice. It strikes me as completely contrary to what I hope you've enjoyed this sample of the Cafe Insider podcast. To listen to the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and become a member. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.